On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, it is time for the brightest conversation in Hamilton podcasts. Mike Fortune is in. We're talking about Justin Trudeau's little scandal that he's got brewing here, which may not be so little. We're going to talk about decisions that we make as kids. Should they be held against us later on in life? That's not related to the Trudeau scandal, by the way. We're going to talk about crime and punishment. We're going to talk about the Maple Leafs. We're going to talk about, well, if it's been going on this week, you're going to hear about it. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In studio for the brightest conversation in Hamilton Radio, our one of our favorites, your favorite, Mike Fortune, lover boy himself. Oh. Uh, see, that, that carries a whole different connotation when I say it like that. That sounds really awkward. It sounds awkward and odd. And, you know, maybe back in the high school days, that was a nickname of mine. But, uh, you know, this old married guy now is just... Plain old Mike. Plain old Mike. Plain old Mike. Good to see you, Scott. Yeah. Did, uh, did so, so at high school, someone actually once upon a time referred to you as Lover Boy. I had a lot of nicknames in high school. I, I my, the nickname for a long time for me was Malone, Sam Malone. Oh yeah. Based on his character. Yes. Just leave it at that. The minds to the imagination. Will knows what I'm talking about. You were an alcoholic. <laughs> yes, in high school. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> Grade 10. Don't know how I got and through my final And you were dating Shelly Long and Kirstie yeah, Alley. That's right, yeah, Kirstie Alley. Oh, I, I date Kirstie Alley over Shelly Long first any day. That's uh, You were the only guy in your high school who owned a bar in Boston, <laughs> so that was good for you. You were you were ahead of your time. Uh, yeah, well. Yeah, there you go, eh? There you go. Well, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it's, it. It's a pleasure. Love coming in here. Love getting the text from you. Never, never know this week what you're coming into, whether it was going to be freezing rain or rain or snow or howling winds or ice bombs or but whatever, we got th- but you made it here. We, and we got through it, and as you alluded to, when you greeted me at the door and held it open for me, we have longer days of daylight yes, right now, it's so actually, that's a bonus. It's actually sunlight. I'll take it. Uh, I want to ask you this for a minute or two, and it, only because it popped into my inbox today, and it, uh, this has made me, and probably many people listening, I'm guessing when I read this, feel very old. The NBA All-Star Weekend is next weekend. Yeah. All right. The all-star game and the whole thing. They got the three-point shooting contest, and the dunk contest and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They have an all-star celebrity game. Oh, boy. Who are here these is, names? Here is the roster. <laughs> now, keep this in mind. The NBA, other than the NFL, would probably be, and maybe even more than the NFL, would be the, the league. Because it, it would be hard to ask a bunch of celebrities to play football. You're not going to get a bunch of celebrities to smash heads, but you can. No. You could ask almost anybody to play basketball. Basketball, and you got a lot of uh, hockey celebrities. But even less than well. that in the but state. Less than that. But basketball is pretty simple. I would yes. say the NBA would have its pick. It could pick any famous person across the board, and they could put on a pair of shorts and a pair of running shoes, and you could have a celebrity basketball. And game. off you go, and you don't care how they do. All right, yes. tell me who of these people you know. Will is in today. Now, Will is considerably younger than both of us, so we're going to bring him in at the end. So, Will, pay attention. See how many of these people you know. How do I get to listen to Will? Do I have to pull... Do I have to... He'll, he'll, you'll be able to hear him. Okay. Uh, Terrence J., Rhapsody, Chris Daughtry. I know Chris Daughtry. I know I've Daughtry. heard of him before. Uh, Bo Reinhardt, Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz I'm familiar with. Mike Coulter, Famous Los, J.B. Smoove, Steve Smith... Who I don't believe is red green, although that would be that awesome. That would be cool. A little Canadian content. Aja or Aja Wilson, Jay Williams, Jason Weinman. That's the home team. The away team is AJ Buckley, Mark Lazary, Amanda Seals, Quavo, Adam Ray, Brad Williams, Ronnie 2K, Bad Bunny, Hassan Minaj, Stephanie Dolson, Ray Allen, I know him, James Shaw Jr. How'd you do on there? I maybe got one or two <laughs> tops. I don't recognize anyone. What happened <laughs> to the days of Justin Bieber and Justin Timberlake and Mario Lopez? Can you call it a celebrity game if people over 18 don't know? Will, how many of those did you know, by the way? I actually knew a couple of them. I missed at the start. I know you said some that I recognize, but I can't remember them now. Um, and I got to say, J.B. Smoove, you know him, Scott. I do. I know J.B. Smoove. Okay, because he's from... He's from a bunch of different things. He was in Arrested... No, it was not Arrested Development. No, 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 Curb Your I Enthusiasm. Know. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, He's yeah. excellent. Uh, watched that. Okay, okay, but there's a few. So I'm thinking the NBA could literally have any celebrities it wants, and I know Red Green and Dr. Oz. Are these considered A-list celebrities? I don't know. Are these They're like C-list? I don't know. 
I don't know, but it's a mystery to me. This, this, all this is telling me is I am exceedingly old. Well, we are both in that boat because I think I had less than you. So, like, I'm looking on here thinking, where's Bo Derek? <laughs> Okay, that's even a little before my time. <laughs> it's way before my time, but I still want to see Bo Derek well, play. Well, that's true, yeah. You know, there's a bunch of other ones that you would want to have in here, but no, no, it's uh, it's Hassan Minaj and Bad Bunny. What is Bad Bunny? I, I, I don't... It's Who um, is Bad Bunny? It sounds like... A, I don't Easter gone wrong? I don't know. Yeah. What's, I don't know what a Bad like, Bunny is. It's like the offspring of Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> it's his grandchild. I, you know what? I guess they're going. Basketball is going after that younger generation. I guess it and is. And if uh, you know, we're I'm in uh, look, my forties. It's fine. If, pe- if people below us, if people who are in their twenties know who and all that's these who are going for, and all I'm saying is that's cool. All I'm saying is it's making me feel incredibly old that I don't have a clue now who the quote celebrities are, and I don't feel like I'm that. We got to go to break. I don't feel like I'm that normally out of touch with pop culture, but. Boy, oh boy. But would Clearly you even I watch am. it if you knew more people? Yes. You would? Yes. I wouldn't. If Bo Derek was playing, I'd be watching. Well. She might break a hip. She's about 87 <laughs> now, but. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike, let me ask you a question. I accuse you of doing something wrong. I say, Mike, I have, her- her- I have heard, I have learned that you broke into your neighbor's garage and stole their whatever last week. Okay. You are 100% innocent. You did not do this. Mm-hmm. How would you respond then to my accusation? I'd look you straight in the eye and say, well, you're misled and mistaken. I did not do that. And if I said, well, okay, so you you may not physically have gone into the garage, but you got your kid to go do it. You... You know what? Once you get, you can, you can attack me, but then as soon as you start going after my family, especially my kids, that's when I get my back. But up. I'm saying it doesn't matter who did. I'm saying you are responsible yeah. for doing this. But what now we... you've brought my kid into okay. it and that's where I start to get nasty. But if you had an accusation like this, if mm-hmm. you had an accusation that either you or someone you asked or someone you pressured or someone you hired to do something wrong and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. Would you have any problem, any difficulty, very clearly, very passionately, very mm-hmm. honestly saying, no, I didn't. And you can ask me any way you want. And I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't hire someone. I didn't ask someone. I didn't pressure someone. I didn't do it. Would you have any problem with I that? I would have absolutely no problem at all, but I would be asking you, show me the proof. Show me the proof. Show well, me physical evidence backing up your statement and my, and your claim. Because if you don't have anything, conversation's done. I'm I'm moving on. But here's the problem. If I ask you... Did you break it? I think I think you broke into the garage and you stole it. And you say, no, I did not break into your garage and do that. And then I say, okay, but you had your family member or friend or whatever doing you. I did not break into your garage and do that. You, Someone listening would say, that's not what I asked you. Mm-hmm. Now you're playing with words. Well, the reason I'm asking you this okay. is because we've got this situation going on right now with the prime minister and this scandal that is brewing. And I'll explain the scandal in just a couple of minutes for those who don't know it. Actually, no, you know what? I'll do it right now. Uh, and I'm, I've actually taken this, it's three paragraphs. I've pinched it. I'm giving credit where credit is due. It's from Stephen Drew of the National Post because his explanation I thought was the best, most concise explanation of what this is all about. And I wasn't going to do any better than him in explaining this. So I'm taking his words. This is Stephen Drew from the National Post. The Prime Minister's Office, this is the accusation, the Prime Minister's Office pressured the former Justice Minister, Judy Wilson-Raybould, into cutting a special deal for a huge Quebec corporation, SNC-Lavalin, which is facing charges for bribing officials in Libya to win juicy government contracts there. The report is, the Attorney General resisted the Prime Minister's Office's urgings to get her get prosecutors to avoid a trial and instead to order what's called a remediation agreement. SNC-Lavalin has been lobbying hard for that agreement because it would spare the multinational corporation from facing corruption charges, which would halt its ability to do business in a number of countries, including securing lucrative government contracts in Canada. The minister reportedly did not play ball, and the prime minister then fired her in January from the justice portfolio. So that is the accusation. That's what this story is about, that the mm-hmm. prime minister wanted to help his friends, help people in Quebec, help big companies. And when the justice minister wouldn't do it, 
He fired her. Well, here was the prime minister being asked about it yesterday. Did you or anyone in your office pressure the former attorney general to abandon the prosecution of SNC-Lavalin? Uh, the allegations in the Globe story this morning are false. Uh, neither the current nor the previous attorney general uh, was ever directed by me or by anyone in my office uh, to uh, take a, a decision uh, in this matter. Uh, Lucas Meyer, News Talk 1010. Prime Minister, I do have a question on uh, the shelter system in Toronto, but just to go back to SNC Lavalin, with regards to the statement that was made in the Globe story, we're saying that, and you're saying now that the PMO did not direct in any way, but the question is whether there was any sort of influence. Are you saying categorically there was absolutely no influence or any pushing whatsoever in this? The allegations reported in the story are false. Uh, at no time did I or uh, my office. Uh, direct uh, the current or previous Attorney General uh, to make uh, any particular decision in this matter. But not necessarily direct, Prime Minister. Was there any sort of influence whatsoever? Yeah. As I've said, at no time did we uh, direct the Attorney General, uh, current or previous, uh, to uh, take any decision whatsoever in this matter. Mike, we got to go to a break in a second, but when you are asked questions a variety of different ways and you are specifically not asked about directing, but just anything else. And the prime minister keeps giving the same answer, answering the question that wasn't even being asked. Does that not make everybody listening now believe something was done wrong? May raise a few flags, but you know, he is a politician. He's trained on, on how to answer. And this is the line that he is going to continue to stay the chorus. Yes, of course. I think there's going to be some suspicion now by all means. And if, uh, if, if he didn't do anything, if he did nothing like what is being described, why not say, I didn't direct, I didn't pressure, I didn't influence, none of this happened. He Instead, he does the Bill Clinton thing, takes a script that doesn't answer the question being asked, and now I believe everybody listening to this is probably believing something is being covered up. Well, you know what? I think it's the old PR game and politicians do it best. If you say something enough, you believe it yourself, and eventually people will start to kind of tune in, maybe buy into your answer as well. That's how I kind of see these things playing out. He, he, he's obviously had some counsel, some direction, and he is not going to waver from what his line is. No matter how many times you throw it at him, they are trained to stay the company line, if you will, in this case. So here's the question in Canada, because in the States, it seems that there are, it seems anyway, that there are more mechanisms to try to get to the truth with congressional hearings and everything mm -hmm. else. I can think back to a couple of years ago when the prime minister was being questioned about his time with the Aga Khan. Yep. And it came up in the House of Commons and they said, are you going to sit down with the integrity or have you sat down? How many times have you sat down with the integrity commissioner? And he would say every time we have said we will be cooperative with the integrity commissioner. Fine, Mr. Prime Minister, how many times, if at all, have you spoken to the integrity commissioner? We have said all along we will be cooperative. And it doesn't seem like, uh, and maybe I'm just missing them, it doesn't seem like in this country we have a mechanism to do anything other than ask questions until people get tired of it and then it goes away and nothing ever happens. And, and that's what happens. And that's what these good politicians do. They, they, they deflect, they pivot, they do whatever they can because they eventually know it's a quick news cycle nowadays. Eventually this will go away probably within 12, 24 hours onto the next issue or until someone else screws up it and then it's their turn to pivot, deflect and say their, their line over and over and over and over. Is again. that what we should want? Maybe that is what we want. I don't know. Is that what we want though? It seems if you to be the status quo because, oh, if, we, status because, quo. If, because if we didn't want that, we wouldn't let that 12, 24 hour news cycle just dissipate and move on. We would keep hammering and going. It would be weeks, months afterwards. But you know what? That isn't what sells papers. It's always what's next now? What's going to make the headlines next? But that says to me less about journalists and more about a public that becomes bored very quickly. And if you are a politician then who, and I, I don't know if, the, I mean, I'm assuming right now because I trust this reporter because he's an excellent reporter who's mm -hmm. done excellent work. If this story is true, this is a really, really exceedingly problematic thing that a prime minister is interfering in criminal matters to try and get a better deal for a friend or a supporter or someone that could be useful to him or to his re-election hopes 
that you are having someone with that position of power meddling in the criminal justice system. That is hor- that is a horrendous situation and that would be a horrendous use of power. But I don't I, I'm I tend to be with you and think, you know what? People will get bored of this very quickly and he'll probably just like in the Kokani when he apparently groped the woman and with the Aga Khan, yeah, you know what, we'll get bored and we'll just give it up. And you in in Canada it seems if you're a politician what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to me? And is that kind of not the world we live in where you do everything you can to be able to have a little bit of influence, right or wrong, to try to get ahead? And it doesn't matter whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether you're you're a, a, a student in university or in high school, because it starts at those it starts at those ages where you can start to kind of garner your um, popularity, if you will, for a better sake of the word, and Help better yourself. Help advance yourself. I'll help you. That's kind you of cynical, me. though. Isn't the way that's the way? I mean, the I'm not saying you're wrong. Works. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm well, saying it's kind of cynical. But hey, you, you, who do you always have to look after? So let me Number ask you one. one other question then. This situation here, because this story has many different tentacles, if, again, if it's true. If it's true. And if that's it's true. A big if. But if it's true, you have the story of a prime minister or someone in his office under his leadership who has tried to interfere with a criminal case. That's a problem. But you also have the story of a prime minister who has described himself as the feminist prime minister and someone who is trying to bring things together with the indigenous people. And here he has fired an indigenous woman, if the story is true, for upholding the law and refusing to bend to the whims of the arms of power. Which which side of that would, if he ends up in trouble, is is what's going to bring him... The trouble is it that he did something wrong, or that he did something politically not expedient because of the woman and the indigenous side of this? I don't even know if it would get that far, to be honest with you, because all the political spinning that goes on behind the scenes, and how you are able to point fingers and put people in awkward positions to make sure that this doesn't go any higher than whatever level you want it to, they can spin this, they can make this however they truly want behind the scenes, and they can quiet people. That's And again, it's going to sound cynical, but we see it time and time and time again. I, I, I find it, and it is cynical, and it is, I, I find it almost sad that we're at a position where A, our attention span is so short, and B, where we, if it doesn't directly affect us, we don't really care about him. I mean, who cares? He helped a company. Who cares? Big deal. That that That's not, even though I know you're right, I know that for a lot of people, they get into these positions because they want to be able to affect the levers of power. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's pathetic. That's so sad if that's why you're doing it and those are the advantages you're using and no one has a possibility of fixing that or calling you on it. But but you do have an opportunity of calling someone on it if if you can somehow maneuver and manipulate yourself to to go up the change and go above them. It, it's 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 a game. Whether like I said, whether it's in politics or business, you're always trying to do the next thing to get up that corporate ladder. Not saying it's right. Not saying it's ethical. No, it's, it, 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 that's what's happening. There's no question that's what's happening. There's no question that a lot of people are trying to get into politics or power or whatever. or positions because of the power. It's just sad to me that if this story is true, that this is what's happening and that I, I tend to agree with you that this will probably blow over unless there are new allegations or unless the former government, the former justice minister finally comes out and says something. Cause if she says something, now you got problems. If you're the prime minister, if she says that this story is true, got to go to break. If she says it's true, now you've got problems because now you've fired an indigenous woman who was doing the right thing. When did the story break? Quickly, Two I know days we gotta ago. go. Two days ago? Why has she not said anything yet? If, if uh, She if, says lawyer-client privilege because she's a lawyer of the government and she can't speak without being allowed to is the argument, the answer I've been given. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Two high-profile Canadian criminal sentencings were done today. One was in Quebec City, Andre Bissonnette, who shot and killed six people in a Quebec City mosque, mm-hmm. was sentenced. And Bruce MacArthur, who was the guy that killed the men in the gay village in Toronto and dismembered them and then buried them in his planters and stuff, he was sentenced today. Two different sentencings, though, Michael. Yes. <laughs> you have, bo- in both cases, you have 
intent. You have multiple victims. You have pure evil at play. I think the comparisons between the two men, it's not they're not that far off at the core of what this is all about, except that I think you may be able to argue on gradients of evil, because we're talking about evil on both sides, but yeah. on gradients of evil, Bruce MacArthur, it wasn't one time that he did this. He did it eight times. And it was a long, drawn-out process over many, many years that was well thought out and scripted and planned yes. in his mind as revolting and disgusting as it is, whereas the other uh, criminal, I'm not going to call him a gentleman, the other criminal, again, I don't know all the facts it was of the planned. case, but, but it was planned, but it was a a, a one-time, yes. let's do Which as much da- damage as I can, as right. quick as I can, and, and move on. Doesn't diminish it. Doesn't, doesn't diminish it, no, no by there all are, means. There are six people dead and others were injured, Yep. and here's where things differ. Andre Bissonnette, the guy who, in the one-time criminal offense who killed six people, got consecutive life terms, no chance of parole for 40 years, all the victims of his shooting rampage seem to get as much justice as you can get when you've been killed by someone. There has been a conviction and a life sentence for each of them. He, he got 150 yep. years in prison, Never 25 years for each, but each of them then led to a penalty. Mm-hmm. Here in Toronto, or in Toronto, in Southern Ontario, Bruce MacArthur, he got eight concurrent life terms, no chance of parole for 25 years. Now he will be older, he'll be 91 and he's never going to get out. I fail to understand how in this country still, even though the law was changed that now allows for consecutive sentences, and that's only since 2011, how anyone can look at someone who committed eight separate intentional criminal acts and not give consecutive terms, which would give some kind of value to the lives that you took away. I, I, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's, again, I don't know all the details. I didn't follow it that closely. And it would be very interesting to get between the ears of, a, of the judge and have a sit-down one-on-one with him to find out what his reasoning and thought process was. I'm assuming at some point it was just based on his age and wh- how old he is going to be after 25 years. He will probably but that's the try tradition, for though. parole. He won't get it. You got to bring the families through all this again. But that's the tradition. I mean, it has again. It changed in 2011, apparently. But go back to the Bernardo case. He got concurrent life terms. So you, unlike in the states, now we don't have the death penalty. There are those who would argue that this would be, especially the Bruce MacArthur one, where again, not one moment of massive damage, but long-term repeated actions. That this would be the perfect case Certainly would for be. a death penalty in the country, but Bernardo didn't get it. He's not getting it. It seems as though I don't even know why it's even an L, a, a, an option that we don't give consecutive life terms. What would be the if you're going to be in jail till you're 91 anyway? What would be the harm with saying you're in jail for 200 years? Well, again, I don't agree with anything that these two did, but they still do have their rights. And th- mm. this is how this is how this particular once they've judge, been convicted, do they have their rights? I believe they do. They have a right to appeal. They have a right to to um, continue education. They they have a lot of rights once you're behind bars. I don't know what they all are, but uh, you you still have rights here in Canada. And if there's someone out there that wants to correct me, please do so. Send an email to Scotty here. But they st- once you still have rights. Behind bars. I, I look at this story, though, and Mike, and it's just, it, it seems as though it diminishes the value of all the victims. Because one of them, pick whichever one, I don't care, one of them got that man 25 years. The rest of them are like a freebie. You didn't really, you dying, nothing has really happened because of that. And even if, even in the case of Bissonnette in Quebec City, he's got 150 years in jail. Well, we know he's not serving 150 years. We know that's not going to happen. I mean, the jail medical... He's going to die in jail, though. Well, the jail medical attention is pretty good, but probably not good enough to make him last another 150 (laughs) years. Uh, He is, though, going to spend the rest of his life there. That 
just seems like if you, in this country, if you get a concurrent sentence, and for those, I, I, everyone knows what concurrent means, right? I mean, it's one on top, of, it's overlapping. It's not one after the other. It's just, it's eight, but it's 25 years and they run all at the same time. That just feels to me like you get eight killings for the price of one. You mentioned before the break that you're offended by this, and, and I don't know, I don't take stuff like this personally. Not personally. I take but offense to it as a- I don't get offended by it either. I take offense to it if I was, if I imagine myself as a member of the community or of the victim's families or anyone else, if I was, I don't have the mass murder serial killer gene in my body, but after you've killed one person, why would, why would I stop? I, now I'm already, I've already done it. Nothing's going to be worse for me if I do two or three or four or eight. There's no downside once you've committed one murder, and hopefully nobody listening is committing any murders. Mm-hmm. But once you've done that, you may as well go for the go for broke because nothing worse is going to happen. We don't have death penalty. We don't have consecutive sentences, at least not that's applied. Why not? Just knock yourself out. Go nuts. Uh, you, you, you bring up some very good points. Again, maybe a lot of it had to do with the the facts, the, the the family statements. And again, we don't know what this judge's habits are, how long he's been on the bench, at least I don't. And maybe he's a bit old school, but maybe he's also just going by the letter of the law based on what has been presented to him uh, at trial. What, what apparently, I'm pulling up a story here from Global mm-hmm. News reading this, um, the argument is that traditionally, historically in Canada, consecutive sentences have been declared unconstitutional. Now, again, that changed in 2011, but it's still not really used based on the premise that we are protected in this country and criminals as well against cruel and unusual punishment. And if you have a consecutive sentence, it really excludes the possibility that you can be rehabilitated and re-enter society. And that's cruel and unusual punishment, to which I say, so to That's your, a load. So to your question earlier, you know, criminal, we have, they have rights. We have rights. They have rights. They have rights. And, yes, and, they do. And, and this is one of them that's, now, maybe this goes back to the rules and the laws. Um, old school, maybe we have to catch up with the times and look at potentially changing it and putting that in a new calligraphy style looking book that we can present to everyone. And this is the, the new letter of the law based on how we are into a different century now and things have changed. Are we being cruel and unusual? Are we being old school? Are we being unfair? If we say that the the criminals are arguing it's cruel and unusual that I don't have a chance to be rehabilitated and re-enter society, and we, the public, are saying, wait a second, you just slaughtered eight innocent victims I'm sorry, your right to be re-entering society at any point has been passed up. You've lost that right. I I fail to see how this is cruel and unusual in any way, shape, or form. But has it not been proven and shown that criminals can be rehabilitated, brought back, and and given a second chance? Some. And again, I'm not condoning. Some. Some Some have. Some. And and, and again, is it based on petty theft? Is it based on uh, a car accident? Is it based on on murders? I don't know what all the numbers and breakdown are, but we have this rule in place. Sometimes second chances should be given. Not saying it's right. We give way too many second chances. Not for those things that you just described. If you do something, Mike, that you commit an act that is within the bounds of a normal person could do this, but you made bad judgment and you did those things. But, you know, I could see you break into a house to steal something. You're stupid, you're young, whatever. That's it, twice tonight you've offended me of going into true. someone's property and that's breaking true. in I, I and I don't actually something. know anything. Wow, holy crow. But let's say, that you, let's say someone did that. You would say, you know what? That's, that's something that hopefully you learn your lesson from that. You never do it again. Slaughtering eight people does not seem to me like one of those things where you go, yeah, you seem like you're going to get fixed. You're not. The, cha- the, re- the reality is you're not, and no government that's got two brain cells to work with it is ever going to let you out because if you were ever to do this again, 
it's coming right back on the person who let you out. And who wants that on their no, no plate? No one wants it on them. But again, based on his age, he'll be 92, feeble, if he even makes it to 92. Maybe maybe there's underlying issues that we don't know about as well. That's part of this decision process. Maybe Bruce MacArthur... Oh, yeah, maybe he's a victim. ...is, is, a, is a victim. <laughs> Not a victim. Yeah, he's a, but he's maybe, a, maybe he's a he sympathetic character. Maybe he has that we're not aware of. But again, I'm not... Of I'm all not the people who have him. ever killed eight people in a sexual homicide, I got to say, he is a sympathetic character. <laughs> I mean, I know you're not saying that, but that somehow the reality is that you've got to look at this, I think, in our society, in our country and say, there are cases. So how do we change it then? Again, where are the people that elect these governments in? Where are the people that elect these councils in? Maybe that's what we need. And nothing changes. Maybe that's what we need. What do we need? We need the timing to line up so that you have a federal election at the same time one of these cases is going on so they can be using this as an electoral thing to say, look, we're not going to let this happen again. Well, who knows? But it's not happening this time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike Fortune uh, from Cable 14, as I say, in studio today. And Mike, have you been following at all this story from what's been going on in Virginia with the governor and the other politicians the last few days about the bad decisions that were made as young men? I have, uh, I've caught glimpses of it and read brief headlines on it. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing how your past can catch up with you. Well, and this is even before social media. I mean, now it's, now it's, it's guaranteed, but in short, the story is that the governor of Virginia, somebody found an old yearbook of his from university. And (laughs) initially they said he was wearing a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Is that the photo? Uh, and then he says, no, I wasn't, but I was there or I knew about it. Well, then there was a person standing next to the person in the Ku Klux Klan outfit who's in blackface. And so he acknowledged that, um, yeah, I think I did blackface at some point. And then there's other people now who are saying I did it. And it's like this whole disaster. Here's the question. All right. So we did the, I did the math today just to make sure that I could know how old he was when all this happened. And I, I, if my math is correct, he was 23 years old when he was in university when this happened. So he's not a 15 or a 16 year old. 20, well, he he's looked, an adult at this point, maybe a young adult, but he's an adult. Now, this is the question I okay, want to ask okay. you though, because this is where I'm going on this. We have decided in our society that at 18, you have suddenly become mature enough. You are a man. To vote or a woman, to vote, or to woman. Be tried as an adult if you commit a crime. We've said at 19, you have the res- you are responsible enough to drink or now to smoke pot. In the States, 21. Yep. By that gauge, by that outline where we have decided as a society that until then you are not mature enough to make those kind of decisions. Should there also be some sort of thing that says any behavior you do before then cannot be held against you later on in your life? Very good question that you're uh, posing. And so if you run for office 40 years later and you did something when you were 17, should that be off the table or can someone ask you about that? You know, isn't there something out there, statute of limitations, like at some point... I think you almost have to sometimes let some things go. I don't know. Was he dressing up for a Halloween party, a birthday party? Different time. Well, that's much a, different time. That's another issue too. That, and we'll get. I want to get to the different time in just a moment because that's another issue too. But first of all, the age. Is there? A, is there? Do you believe that you should have a part of your life that? you can basically say, you know, that was my <laughs> developmental learning time. I made stupid mistakes because we all have made stupid mistakes. And as an adult <laughs> later on, when it comes to work or anything else, you shouldn't, you can't hold that against me for yeah. things I did in my stupid youth. Uh, well, and I was one real stupid youth and I'm glad there weren't cell phones and, and, and photos. And I know I would probably be in a little bit of trouble right now if any of that came. Uh, everything was... And you're not alone. You're not, and not just me and, and not just Will. Here. No, no, not just me, not just Will, not just anyone else around here. I bet you that people listening, every single one of them, unless the Pope is on the, in the audience, would say, there's something I did in my youth that I am really glad they haven't caught on to. You know, 
I think as long as you haven't killed anyone, as long as you haven't broken any major massive laws, uh, physical uh, abuse, sexual assault, anything like that that are just despicable beyond belief. But if you are... Antisocial is what you're saying. Thank if you. Not, yeah. No, but if it's not, if it's not that. If, 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 if you're dressing up, if you're at a party and you, you get photos of you with a joint in your hand, I think those are the ones that should be passed. Those are the ones where, to your point, you're young, you're growing up, and you would hope that through your years of growing up and everything that you have contributed to society, this is a good, decent human being. He was a young man or a young woman, and they were learning at that time. Because I do think you still have to be able to have those opportunities where you can make mistakes and learn from them. If you're making mistakes and you're punished and prosecuted right away, how's that, how's that fair to anyone? And what age would you put at the spot where oh, later one. on, if you're running for office or you're applying for a job or something and they find out that, I mean, if you're, if you're 18, should 18, I mean, 18 is the cutoff for, as I say, for criminal charges is 18 when you, our society has decided that you are able to make decisions th- th- as an adult at that point. Some people might say it should be 16 because you can, you can drive a car and a car can actually be a weapon nowadays. It's true enough. So maybe, maybe it's 16. I don't know what the number is. I, I, I don't know what that magic f- scientific formula is that says this is what you are responsible for up to this age. I don't know what it would be. All I know is into my early 20s, I'm, I'm glad nothing was let out. But here's another one then. Here's another part about this, and that is we have psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists who will tell us, that everybody matures and is different and, and moves forward Agreed. and becomes an adult at a different time. So what happens, and this is, this is clearly not the case in this story in Virginia, right? But I'm using this as an example. What happens if the governor of Virginia pulled forward a child psychologist who said, due to his upbringing, he was still basically a boy at 23 years old, not a man. Should that get him off the hook? For this behavior? Should that get anyone off the hook? If you can have someone establish that you were a slow developer. How can you establish that 20 some odd years later? I don't know. You I, know, it, you and can, I see where you're you coming from. You can find from. a psychologist or psychiatrist to say anything if it, you want. You, you pay them enough, they'll say whatever you want. Well, not even say. that, well. but they're, they're, I'm saying there are different people who have different schools of thought on different issues that you could find someone whose view would con, would concur with yours. It, it, it's, a, it's, a moving, it's a moving target, that this age thing, and you, you're never going to get the right number. I, I think what you have to do nowadays as a parent, you have to <laughs> pray, pray. You have to instill in your kids, always assume that you are going to be photograph photographed. Yes. Videotaped. Yes. Uh, recorded yes. Uh, voice and that anything you put on social media will be used against you at some point down the road. You have yes, to be yes, yes. so careful. And will never your, go away. You have to be so careful of your digital footprint because it is with you for life. Right now, Google is the world's biggest blackmail operator, if it chooses to be. If it chose to be because it's got everybody's everything. It could just start popping up stuff from background. And I'm not talking about you or me necessarily. I'm talking about kids who grew up in the Google era the Google who put era? their entire life online. They are... The, uh, it's amazing what they could do. Now, you mentioned different time. This becomes a, di- a, a, a trickier one. And <laughs> I'm not, look, being in blackface or a Ku Klux Klan outfit in 1984. In what state ta- again? Virginia. Okay. But what we're not talking about 1930s or 40s or something when probably you could make an argument that everybody was doing this. I'm not sure what, what, that that was the case in 1984, but Mike, but in some cases, in some places, you probably could say this was not, I don't mean this even necessarily, but just something you've done that would get you in trouble, that this was not antisocial. This is how people behaved. And I'm looking down the road and thinking, what if we find out in, well, we're already having people now saying, you know what? Beef is causing environmental problems. Beef, the farts from cows is a huge cause of problems in the atmosphere. What if we decide in 10 years that people who were farmers, who are beef farmers, 
should be that was a horrendous crime against humanity. Would that be a fair thing? Because I'm I'm looking back, going, wait a second, they were doing what was accepted behavior. I'm using one I, wild example, yeah, but I, things do. Opinions, attitudes change. It's maybe not the same. It's not the, clearly not the same as racism. No, I. I, I I see where you're going, but, but I have to as disagree things with move, that type of, of, of analogy. I'm trying to think of a better yeah, one on the fly, but I, I, we I, do I, have times that change and that attitudes that change. And if you are in a society or in a part of society where everybody around you thinks the same way, if it's even if it's wrong, should it be held against you that you were not the outlier? That... Jeez, you're giving me a lot to think about right there. And that's, I, that doesn't, again, I, I'm not looking at this going, you know what, the guy, we got to give him a pass because he dressed in a Ku Klux Klan. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am catching from some of these stories is that apparently all the people around these people were doing things that today we would say definitely wrong, but just because the person didn't become the one who stood above all the rest and said, this is wrong, I'm not going to do it. Like George Washington, we've heard about people saying George Washington was a slave owner, therefore he should be named, you know, we shouldn't have George, we shouldn't have Washington DC anymore. Is that right? Is that, I don't know. I think it starts to get a little too far and we've talked about statues being torn down and all that if we're going in this That's right. You, you, You have to, you have to embrace and learn from your history and you have to try to, as a society, become better. And if becoming better means having photos like this brought up and say, this is what it used to be like, kids. This is what everyone has gone through. This is what black people had to go through. This is this is not the right way. You use it as a teachable moment, a teachable lesson, however you want to word it. But look what also has happened. He's now turned into a successful politician. We hope he's clean and buy the books and all that. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes by all means. But I don't think you have to tear this guy's reputation apart based on something that happened so many years ago in a state where this was looked upon as, do do I dare say normal? I've never been to Virginia. Yeah, I don't know if it was normal, but... I don't know. Look, if it was in their yearbook, it clearly was not an outrageous act. And if it was in the yearbook... You ever tried to put anything in high school in the yearbook that was even remotely edgy? They, they, most teachers would go, no, no, that, we're going to keep that You can't do that. So, you know, you had educated people and teachers looking over this saying, yeah, sure, put it in. And, but, and here it is, it's, it's, it's out and it's causing, causing him some grief right now. Uh, yeah, not I, saying it's right, not saying it's wrong. I look, my, my fear with this is not protecting people who wore Ku Klux Klan outfits. It's not about protecting that. It's about, we do know that attitudes, sensibilities, they do change over time. Of course they do. They have to. And. And you hope it's for the better. You hope it's for the better, but you know what? Um, here's my fear. Some of the people who are, and maybe it's not even a fear, my, my thought, some of the people who are the loudest yellers right now that says that person was evil for doing that may find that something they are doing today as sensibilities change is someday seen as evil. That was my poor example of say beef farming or something when we go to the environment and how driving cars, all these other things, something could change and suddenly you're now the one who's doing everything that normal people in society are doing around you, but yet it's wrong. That's why I think you always got to watch it. You know, do you always want to be that mouthpiece that, that riles people up and gets people going and has you follow them? Maybe you have to... You really have to look internally to make sure that your halo isn't warped at all before you go out and start, you know, being that, getting on that bullhorn saying this, 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 and this, because it could come back to bite you potentially. I'm not defending a guy wearing a Ku Klux Klan outfit. That's not it at all. And as I say, by 1984, here's the problem with this one. If this was 1940s Virginia... I would be much more comfortable with my argument that all the people around you were doing this. Therefore, do we, do we demand that you be the 
great moral leader or else you're evil, do, that you be different from everyone else. That is different. By 1984, I am reasonably confident, again, not knowing 1984 Virginia, that that was not everyday normal life. And, and that's where I ha- we, we truly don't know enough in regards to Virginia, Nanchez, Mississippi, you name it. Some of those states in the deep south, they lead a different life. I, I don't know if the news gets to them a little bit slower. They have their ways of thinking. Again, not saying it's right and all that, but they have their beliefs. You know what this guy would have been better off doing, quite honestly? Because initially he said, yeah, that was me. And then he says, no, it's not me. And then he did something else. I believe that if he, and this is the case in politics, in almost all the problems in politics that people get into. If you've done something, own up to it and say, if this was him when he was 23, say, you know what? I was young. I was stupid. I did something. I'm ashamed of that now. I would never do that today. I've learned lessons. I am a supporter of the African-American community. Here is what I've done. I had forgotten about that. I would never do that. But to suddenly, as soon as you start panicking and covering it up, you look defensive. And we and you- see that time and time again. You, 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 Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, yet who's the ones, the guy got caught using steroids and said, yeah, I did it. Andy Pettit. He's put back on a pedestal. Jason Giambi. They're they're gods because they owned up to it. And I, I'm taking a baseball reference, but no, no, but it's... Th- that, that's that's the way how it is. You get you your immediate thought is to deny and defend, and maybe we're just tuned and wired that way. But if we take half a second and take a deep breath, because showing accountability, showing that you're vulnerable, showing that you do show, show remorse, goes a lot further than constantly putting up that wall around you and deny, deny, deny. Now, for some people, it works. Sometimes, but not uh, this one. This one doesn't seem to be going away because been, it's... Like you said, he could have been a hero. He could have He could have, uh, He could have handled this a lot differently. But uh, people don't know how to PR themselves properly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mike, uh, this week, we had two guests on this week on the same topic, sort of different approach to it. We were talking yesterday with Manny Figueredo, who's the uh, director of education for the school board. They have a program in place that puts iPads and now some other kinds of screens in the hands of students so they can use technology and do that kind of thing. Earlier in the week, we had a psychologist on a child psychologist who works in child development saying, you know what? Way too much screen time is causing learning slowdowns, learning disabilities in kids. Now, she was talking about very young kids, but she extended that and said later, you know what? I mean, people who are just spending too much time in front of the screens, you can see the reasons why this would have a negative effect. Had a few people, and so that leads into this. I had a number of people following yesterday's show, writing, emailing, saying, why can't the school board... Just teach with pencil and paper and kids will play with computers at home, at the library, at their friend's house. Why do we need to bring screens into the classroom? To which I said, it's a good question. And I don't know if I, 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 there is definitely in my mind a place for computers in the classroom. I don't want us to go back to the abacus and, you know, back to 1950. Uh, (laughs) But I'm, I'm not sure that I am convinced that we need to have screens in front of kids all day through school for all classes. There, it, to me, it seems like we don't need it. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I've had people on my show, uh, both pro uh, and con against the iPads. I've had school board trustees on. We've talked about this. And, you know, my sense is, the tablets, the uh, the pads, are supposed to be used as a guide, as a teaching aid. But I think what has started to happen is, is the teachers get comfortable with it and use it as almost a teacher for themselves. Kids are very smart. Kids can figure out how to get through firewalls, jump through static IPs, and figure out how to download their well, own you Netflix got all the, you accounts. You've got all the ling- lingo going here. Well, I've, I've, I'm kind of in the know a little bit about yeah, this. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. In regards to the screen time, 
I agree with you in the fact that it doesn't have to be there all the time, but I do believe you also don't want to be held back uh, in regards to understanding how technology works. And I think it's a little unfair to have the teachers being put in this situation of how much should you be on the screen, how much shouldn't you be on the screen. I'm with you. I wish we could go back to reading, writing, arithmetic. Here's the books. However, you will hear people say the cost of books is expensive. The the, the books are breaking down. They're moldy. Well, then there's the flip side of saying, well, these tablets are also going to have to be replaced and redone. It's this tug of war. There are people that it has really helped this technology. It's given people, oppor- kids, opportunities to expand their mind and their growth. And then it's helped the introverts become, I think, even more introvert. I don't have to be social because I can talk to my friend right here in front of me. It, I am just, I am of the opinion. Now, okay, let me back up. The challenge of this is that I do recognize, and I think the school board recognizes, and so I think to to this point, I think the school board is on target, and that is we do have people in this community that are of low income who don't necessarily have the same access to these kind of devices as everyone else. So if you have a kid at an inner city school, at Sir John A. McDonald, at somewhere else, who is a new Canadian or who is someone who comes from where the teacher understands that this person is from a low income family and the school wants to loan them a device, a laptop or an iPad so they can do assignments on it or whatever else that I say, yeah, sure. That's good. But we've been having people with language barriers and low income families for decades going through the I school understand system. that. But the difference is now the kids who are better off have these devices so they can do the work on it. I'm saying just to even the playing field, make it like when you played in the school band, not everybody who played tuba owned a tuba. The school gave you a tuba to play because probably as soon as you were done high school, that was the end of your tuba playing days and you had no need for a tuba after that. My dad played tuba in high Did school he? down at Parkside. Anyways. I pity your friends. Um, <laughs> but so I, so if you want to, if the schools want to, if the boards want to help the people who need the help, I get no problem with that. I think that that is a valuable idea. I just look at myself. I know that I am someone who is easily distracted and I don't think that I am all that far away from a lot of other people as far as that. And if you put a screen in front of me when Miss Smith is up at the front of the room talking and teaching something, my eyes are on the screen. And not only are your eyes on the screen, and let's say you're all And doing, my ears are let, with my eyes. Let's say you're all doing the same lesson on your tablet. There are going to be kids that won't be paying attention. And like I said, they'll be jumping through hoops to be downloading movies or reading books or something online, whatever the case might be. Yeah, it, no, it's, no. It's... It's frustrating in the fact that we are becoming so reliant and we're teaching these kids at such a young age that it's technology. You're missing out on the emotional intelligence. You're missing out on conversation. You're missing out on learning um, uh, cursive and how to write a signature for crying out loud. And these are all skills that a screen is not going to give you. And I find it very unfortunate that the school boards think this is the new way of going. Got an email from Mike, who we often hear when he calls in with the answer to the quiz at night. Mike, the geography teacher. Oh, so he knows the answer to Bytown. He does know the answer of course he does. to Bytown, but he also says iPads should only enhance the learning process, not be the learning process. Traditional teaching methods combined with a sprinkle of new technology is the best. I, I agree with that. Okay, so what tools are you giving the teachers so they can utilize these tools in the proper way? Well, that's that's a whole other thing. And that that is... that. But that, isn't it part of that question or, or answer or, or, or the whole process? If, if you're just telling teachers, here are iPads, give them to your kids, how are you then as a teacher doing them any justice? Okay, so I can give an example of something off the top of my head where I could see this being something useful. And thanks for the email, Mike, the geography Absolutely. guy. If you, if as a teacher, now, again, all these iPads or whatever are going to be hooked up to Wi-Fi to something. So if as a teacher, you do a class, you do a lesson in class, and then you dump onto a website that you can access with your iPad, your homework, and then your homework, two, two parts about this could work to your advantage. The homework is done 
and saved so the teacher, A, can see that you've done the homework. Unlike when I was in high school, I could always fake that I did my homework. And the dog ate it? The, it so the, A, the teacher can actually monitor who's doing the work because it's on, it's in the system. That would be a positive. And also the teacher can see who's actually getting this because it's all where they can access it and it's not... There's no fakery. There's no nothing else. That I could see as being a positive for this, but that's not really with the technology in the classroom. That's the technology as an extension of the classroom when you get home. I'm, I'm, my struggle is with the screen in the classroom because I think, and I've never been a teacher. I would think though that if I'm standing at the front of the class and I've got 20, 25, 30 students who have a phone, an iPad, a laptop in front of them. And all you're seeing is the top of their heads. Exactly. Half of them, the smart students, or at least the really enthusiastic students are still going to be engaged, but boy, you have just given the rest of them an easy out to not follow what's going on. And it's only going to make it harder for the teachers. Well, Rather than helping them, it's going to make it harder for them. And then going back to my point, what tools are being put in place that the teachers can administrate, administratively hand out these la- iPads and use them effectively and efficiently as, a, as an aid? Manny Figueroa uh, yesterday, um, one of his comments was that with the iPads up to this point, they have been able to have controls over... I guess the Wi-Fi or the apps or whatever else so that you can't just have... Now, the problem with that, that's good, all right? So that's fine. So you can't have the kids just download a bunch of apps onto this thing and turn it into a giant video game. But now what they've decided this week is that because there were some issues with the iPads, if you've got your own laptop or your own phone... You can bring it in. You can bring it in. Well, now, to me... All bets are off. Look, if I've I've got my... I'm holding right now my iPhone... I don't know how many times a day I look at this. Too many. I've got a problem. I acknowledge I've got a problem. If I was in grade 12 again or grade 11, knowing <laughs> how what my brain was like, and I had this phone in front of me, I would have worn out YouTube. I would have worn out every mm-hmm. game. I would have learned even less than I did in high school. And that's saying something. I, I'm just looking at this thinking, as a tool, as an aid, as Mike, the geography teacher, writes in, as an aid, great. But in my mind, these things should be on maybe five minutes per class, max. And I don't disagree with that. Guidelines should be put in place. We are going to do a geography lesson. And you know what? We want to break out the iPads right now so we can do a virtual tour of Australia for the next 10 minutes. And then we shut it down. And then we talk about Australia. And I'm sure most classes have something like that. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. And and this is where I think it's a little unfair because I think you're going to have some of those teachers, and I don't want to paint them all with one brush, that are just going to say, here's your iPad for the next 45 minutes of the class. Whatever you do on it, at the end of the day, you have to have this lesson plan completed or your homework done. It, it, it's, it's a difficult situation for teachers, for students. I'm even here. We had, I had Jason Allen in. He was a candidate in uh, the last election who wrote an op-ed. And his... his About dis- this. Uh, his dislike of, of iPads... Uh, how it hasn't helped his son in high school, but it has helped his autistic son uh, who's in some lower grades. So again, he sees some of the benefits and the the pros and the cons, but overall, apparently from his research and what he's gathered, a lot of students don't even like the iPads. I am am admittedly old school when it comes to this kind of thing. My preference, no one's asked me, but my preference would be you have to, uh, you have a big box at the front of the door of each classroom. And when a student comes in for every class, they put their phone in the box and you don't even have it with you. As soon as you put technology in the hands of young people whose lives basically revolve all your social life, all your entertainment, everything revolves around that. You are basically telling them the classroom, I think the classroom is simply an extension of everything else. It's not a different place. It's not unique. I say the classroom has to be unique and you have to understand this technology is taken out of your hand here. We're going to learn something here. Then you can do your technology in the hallway afterwards. Now to play devil's advocate, you will maybe hear people say, but then you're going to fall behind. And to those students that are using technology because the future is all about technology. And if you don't know how to get around on these things... You're going to be behind. Going to be behind the eight ball moving forward. And I would say you're right with one caveat. Show me the one student in high school today who doesn't know how to operate 
a laptop or a phone or a, an iPad or something else. Show me the one. Show me the one student who's going to walk into class and you're going to say, here's your iPad. And they go, what's this? Fair enough. Is this a paperweight? There, there's no <laughs> student who doesn't understand how to use this stuff. Could they use it better, differently? Yes, More of course, yeah. of course. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.